The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas and Herho. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Dom. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. How's it going, Dom? Very well. Thank you. So let's get into our topics today. We have a, a good slate of topics to discuss. And uh, it covers some interesting ground that we're, we're covering today. Our first topic is on the, the idea of social credit scores. Uh, your, the idea that your online activity is now your credit score from a social point of view, from, uh, from operating society. So we have financial credit scores where, you know, you want to get a, a loan or a credit card or something like that. And the a a uh, dossier is compiled on you by credit agencies that you know are you a good credit risk or a bad credit risk so, i mean that's, that's the basic idea well social credit scores are the uh where they compile information on you from your activity online say uh, or activity related to your online activity uh say if you use certain uh, web services that sort of things in the in the in the real world and they then decide whether to do business with you or whether to allow you to be on their platform or that sort of thing based on that. For example, if you've ever seen that, uh, oh, I, I didn't look at the uh, title of it. There was a, that Netflix series called Black Mirror, which is sort of a Twilight Zone for the 21st century. Uh, there's a whole episode where they uh, everyone has a score, a constantly running score of, the, of their social standing and th- that score determines whether people will do business with you, whether you have your job, whether you can get a certain apartment. And it's very dystopian. Uh, but now this seems almost as like they're starting to come true. So uh, the, there was an article in Engadget called uh, Your Online, Online Activity is Now Effectively a Social Credit Score. And they talk about some cases where people have had their, like this one woman had her Twitter account I'm sorry, her Instagram account canceled because of things she was doing on Twitter that violated Instagram's ter- would have violated Instagram's terms of service. She wasn't doing it on Instagram. She was doing it on Twitter, but they she got n- noticed for it and they canceled her Instagram account just in case. Uh sort of like Minority Report. There was some pre-crime going on here. Yeah. Uh so <laughs> and then there's other cases where Airbnb has uh canceled people's accounts because they were engaged in uh in certain professions uh uh let's see um in sex work for example so uh people who are uh online you know they they either make movies or are involved in the adult entertainment business um have had their airbnb accounts canceled uh even though they they didn't violate the terms of service for using the places they weren't doing the work in those places they were just renting them to to stay overnight so uh, here's my question i <laughs> i kind of put to you both of you after this long-winded uh uh introduction what do you think of this is this a is this a good thing it's a bad thing this is 
not being done by government. It's being done by private business. Do you think private businesses should be allowed to do this or not? So what do you think of this whole thing? Uh, Thomas, can I start with you? Sure. Um, I think uh, anybody who's listened to me on the show before knows that I am a strong uh, supporter of liberty and uh, that I'm a strong supporter also of privacy. And this is one of those interesting spots where the two of them butt heads. (laughs) So, uh, you know, like... I I was looking through this and reading through the Airbnb stuff, and I I can't um I can't argue with the case that they're trying to make about needing to know some of these things because if you're running an Airbnb and a certain type of people start showing up en masse at your location, whether they are doing anything or not, um, it can affect the value of the property. And so, as a property owner who might rent my property out on Airbnb, I might be concerned about the type of person that is renting uh, my property, even if they're not doing any of their business there. um, You know, it would be like a celeb showing up at your uh, at your place and everybody in the neighborhood getting mad because they didn't know that this was going to happen. And that might be the case with Airbnb, too. Uh, So, you know, it's it's tough because on the one hand, I I I do think that there's a privacy issue here. But I'm not really sure if it's any more of a privacy issue than what we as users of social media are already doing by vetting the people that we're friends with on social media. Right. Of course, one thing, like, if you or I don't like someone we we are friends with on social media, we just unfriend them or even block them if we don't want to have anything to do with them. But we can't remove their account. And where social media like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, this is the the public square now in many many ways, and if someone is removed from that public square, that's a big deal. It it yeah. effectively silences them silences them in many ways, uh, and this is being done by private businesses based on whatever criteria they hold. They they reserve the right. It's all in the terms of service. They reserve the right to to cancel you for whatever reason they like, and you have no recourse, and you're effectively silenced in the public square. Jack, what do you think of all this? I understand where Airbnb is coming from on this, but I think it sets a bad precedent. Like, I would not want people who are doing certain things staying in a home I was renting out. But at the same time, if they're not doing that stuff in the house and it's a home to rent, I there's not a real issue there. Like, you cannot control what people are doing outside the rental. Right. So I under, I understand where they're coming from, but I think it sets it's a really slippery slope because then you can say okay, I don't like this person because of things they've written online, not even something they've done. And you can just move into, you can just block anybody just because you don't like them. And in fact, they, that's right in the terms of service. They can block you. There, there are certain things they can't block you for because the law <laughs> prevents them. Uh, race, mm-hmm. creed, color, uh, that you know, uh, your sex, your that sort of stuff. But all, everything else is fair game under the law at the moment. Um, and so one of the things that they're apparently doing, like Airbnb in particular, is they have an AI or they're they're creating it. They have a patent for an AI. They haven't. I don't think it exists completely yet. Uh, but they have have a patent for an AI that will crawl the internet, scraping everything it can find on you, and building a profile on you, sort of like Facebook's shadow profiles. And it build a profile on you and score you on traits like conscientiousness and openness. Um, what and- does it even mean? Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> How do they define these things? Am I am I more or less open if I'm say a conservative Catholic or an or, you know Orthodox Catholic who accepts everything the Church teaches? 
Does that make right. me more or less conscientious and open? <laughs> so th- right. these are these are things that should concern everyone because really especially in the times we live in right now where we are more divided and divisive than ever when people start to put you you know categorize you based on what they can find not by what you've actually done to them by what they perceived you to have done compiled by entirely by automation frankly right, this right. isn't a private eye going out and you know, yeah. shoe leather, uh, finding out stuff about you. It's all well, automated. Even even without that, I think really what it comes down to is there are already systems in place, especially even on Airbnb, that take care of this. But they take care of it after the fact. And so mm-hmm. they right. rely on real events. So if you go to a place and you actually end up doing something in, at the person's house that you shouldn't, or you devalue their property value because of whatever you were doing, they can rate you so the the person renting the house can also rate the renter from what I'm given to understand. I don't know Airbnb yes. in and out, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what you can do. So, uh, you know, that if if you can evaluate the person and then that person's score goes down on the site, then obviously that's going to make them uh, make it harder for them to rent on the site as well. And so they'll naturally select out of that situation. So it's already in place and it seems like a, an extra step of effort that really isn't necessary. You know, right. Um, I think it's an attempt to assure people who would put their property on Airbnb, but they're still worried about the risk. And hmm. I kind of feel like if you're going to be putting your house on Airbnb, you're taking a risk and you just have to accept that. Absolutely. Now, beyond Airbnb, I mean, this goes beyond Airbnb to, to like, for example, Twitter and, and, and Instagram and Facebook. You know, so if... Facebook or Twitter, one of Twitter's big problems is the the trolling problem, the the problem of people behaving badly toward each other uh, and sometimes uh, ganging up on people or just hiding behind an anonymity to really be cruel to someone. And Twitter may decide, like, the only way for us to to get out of this is to prevent these people from being on our system at all. So we're going to build profiles of people and score them. In, in advance so that they don't even have the chance to be this kind of person to other people. Mm. Again, that's a, that's a question because, and th- this is doing this uh, under these criteria here, but what about say in China where you have the Muslim Uyghurs and others who are being scored by the Chinese government? Well, you know, what's right. to prevent China from saying to companies who want to do business there, say American companies or European companies, well, you have to give us your information, these profiles. You have to use these AI or you have to use these standards. This is concerning to, to me and mm-hmm. probably should be for all of us. Nope, I very much agree with that. I think that uh, I think this is an issue where you have that that privacy is necessary uh, in the sense of disconnecting what we're doing from what we might do in the future. Uh, and and that, and that's the really big thing that this comes down to is that we keep relying on um, algorithms to predict future behavior. And that's if there's anything that humans are good at showing is wrong. It's predicting future behavior based solely on past behavior. Right. Right. Yeah. The, what And we in the past, we may not have had computers to do this, but in the past, we have had situations where we have tried to say, this group of people who have this same profile, whether it's religion or race or 
what have you, are all this kind of person, and therefore we should treat them all this way, whether it's Nazi concentration camps, internment camps in the U.S. for Japanese uh, Americans mm -hmm. you know, on the West Coast, or to African-American people, or what have you, anywhere in the world. I mean, this is right. something that has historically been done. We categorize a group of people based on particular traits that we attribute to them, and that has historically led to very bad things, and and that should concern all of us. What do you think is our recourse for this? What can we do to 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 save ourselves from this? Should, is legislation the only option for us? I, I think at a certain point, like anti discrimination laws, just need to apply more to these companies that are kind of circumventing traditional hotel chains or rental car chains, like all these small companies that are kind of, they're like distributing the ownership of that, but not really. They're kind of just low overhead hotel chains at this point. Like people may think that you're benefiting from it and you are to a certain extent, but you're not really in control of your own Airbnb. It's still mm -hmm. a company that's controlling it. But, but they still have, I mean, the, those anti-discrimination laws that exist now, do apply to Airbnb and to the people who rent their homes. Right. It's just those laws don't cover this sort of thing. That's the trick. No. Is yeah, they need to be updated to cover. Yeah, you cannot accuse people of crimes they haven't committed. <laughs> you can't profile people. I mean, really, right. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. It's like you shouldn't be profiling people. But this this should also be something that really is a huge strike against the company. And right. for anybody using the company, it should be something that automatically sets off red flags for every single person involved, whether you're on the the, the side that's uh, renting your Airbnb or on the side that you're going to it. Any company that's willing to do this, it should immediately be a red flag that says, I don't know if I really want to be involved with these people. Right. And then interestingly, my question on the other side of this is as a person who has no credit cards and has never had any credit cards. Uh, I don't really have many social media accounts anymore. I use my Twitter and it's like when I like a video on Facebook, it says that I like the video on Twitter and then I share the SQPN stuff. And that's mostly the <laughs> limit of my, my Twitter act yeah, activity right now. Everything. So it's, you know, I'm just not, I'm not engaged. What does that mean for me in this social scoring system? Am I like a, a weirdo outsider that uh, they don't want to deal with because they don't have this profile for me? Or the profile they have, the profile they have for you is incredibly flawed and could be detrimental to you. Exactly. That's that's the that's the tr the the trick. I mean, the thing is, is the shadow profiles. And in case people don't know what 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 it is, is Facebook years ago developed this this uh, this idea of a shadow profile. There, sure, there are billions of people who have profiles on Facebook, but there's all those people who don't, and but they have data on you because when 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 I joined Facebook. If I'm not a sophisticated user, I upload my contact uh, book. Don't ever, don't ever allow Facebook Messenger or Facebook to upload your address book. By the way, when it asks and it bugs you about it constantly, to do it, don't do mm -hmm. that for the sake of everyone that's in your address book, because that just gives Facebook ways to it uh, to gather data on them. But, but people do that, and then there's all kinds of other information out there, such that all these this web of data that that, that connects to you, a person who doesn't have a Facebook profile. They have all of this data that connects to this shadow, this person who's not on the, the thing, but they can say quite a lot about you, even though you're not on the service. And, and that's, that's the problem of big data. There's all this data out there about you, more than you even know uh, that is out there about you, that is in public databases, that the government 
you know, your driver's license, every time you pay taxes, all this other data, your phone numbers and all the stuff that's out there that's semi-public, not even public, but semi-public, um, that's for sale, private data that's for sale, uh, that can create a profile of you. And they'll they'll scrape all that. They'll buy those databases. And that's that's tricky. That's That's kind of scary. So uh, this is, on the other hand, I have to take the other side of this and say, there are times when a profile is good, right? Like we want to profile terrorists. You know, we, we like when the FBI can say uh, people who do all of these, these seven things have serial killer tendencies and we're going to, you know, take a look at, at this guy because he has all of these things and we're not going to arrest him, but we're going to look at, he'll be the one we look at. Well, I, I would like to see I, I would like to see a solution that's more focused on the solution than the problem here, too, because, right. you know, what what you have and, and this is my, my wife immediately jumps to this. Is she's she's the social justice warrior in our house. And so she's uh, jumping to this thought that Airbnb in and of itself is an example of how the housing market has completely failed uh, this whole string of people right now, because uh, my uncle, for example, rents out the front half of his house just so that he can live in the house. Right. So he's got an Airbnb for the front half of his house just so that he can afford to live in uh, the area that he's in. And that's that's kind of where we're moving is like you have to do all of these odd jobs to make ends meet. And so we're reliant on these companies. And then once you get reliant on this company, they can do all sorts of crazy things and you don't really have any recourse to say anything about it. Right, right. right. Yeah, you know, if you if you are making a living as an Uber driver, if Uber decides to cut you off, you're out of work. You're done. Right. You know, I mean, just and then they can they can be you don't have rights as an employee. You are just a, a, a technically a contractor. Right. Uh, one one of the things it's the illusion of ownership. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to mention, talk about these shadow profiles is uh, this company that's been come up recently. Um called Clearview AI. It's it's kind of got on the news. And one of the other a startup that is providing a database to law enforcement of photos of for facial recognition. And that what they do is they scrape the internet of every possible photo, every public photo on Facebook, YouTube, Venmo, Twitter, everywhere, Flickr, every photo possible. And they've built more than three billion images to create a facial recognition database so that when the police have a, you know, a, a grainy photo that they've uh, enhanced using magical enhanced technology like you see on TV, <laughs> but they have a photo like a, from a security camera and they want to find out who this is, Clearview will, will, will ch- uh, compare that against every photo of, you, of, of people on the internet that they could possibly find. And that's kind of scary when you think about it because it means that, you know, my photos of are being used against my will. I mean, I I didn't give permission for this company to sell my photos to law enforcement. Uh, so what do you think? I mean, this is this is the kind of the thing is scary. Um, uh, that they you know all kinds of scary scenarios can be brought up regarding this. So I, I yeah I got I, a very big problem with this. Yeah, I could guess that both yeah. you guys would have problems with it too. Yeah. Well, and it's really a big issue for somebody like me who has a face that apparently looks like everyone. So like the facial recognition programs cannot pick me out of a crowd a lot of times. 
and they'll say, is this guy you? Is this guy you? Is this? And I'll get like these, this endless stream of people where I'm like, nope, that's not me. Nope. That's, <laughs> that's not me either. No. Right. Yeah. Well, one so. of the things they, they, uh, this run report, I'll, I'll link it in the, uh, in the show notes is, um, this reporter talks about, um, how this company is very secretive and very shadowy. Uh, we, there's no transparency into who they are, where their technology comes from, you know, what their intention is for the future. And then this company's, you know, database is going to be handed out to, you know, bought by law enforcement. And how good is the database? How reliable is it? What happens when it makes a mistake? You know, these sorts how of things. How secure is it? Exactly. How secure? Um, you know, is it going to be like every other um, AI out there right now and assume that all people of darker skin tone are just about the same because it can't tell the details? Right. right. That's, this, that's a big that's, problem. This is a thing yeah. that people people <laughs> think AI is hell, for, hell 9000 from, you know, in, or, you know, any other smart computer. It yeah, it's not data from Star Trek. It is. It's still pretty dumb. It's I mean, more. Yeah. yeah. Artificial yeah. OCR, OCR is really if you if if any if if anyone has not worked with um uh with image recognition it is very very complicated to do image recognition right and uh, you don't think about what a computer sees but all a computer sees is a bunch of pixels on a screen and so right. when you get those pixels together in a bunch that's basically all the computer is doing is thinking of a, a group of pixels together in a bunch it's trying to analyze what those pixels do and and how they how they relate to other pixels on the page. And that's pretty much all it's doing. So it can't look at someone and see features. It just sees the way the pixels right. are oriented. Right, and it has a, they have a hard time with, especially if you're going off a security camera and pictures off, off of the internet, like they're not going to be photo posed photos taken for the purpose of facial recognition. So there's going to be a wide margin of error. All right. So uh, reason to be concerned, I'm not sure there's much we can do as individuals at this point here. Um, we just have to be aware. We have to keep... Uh, when when an opportunity comes up to tell our elected representatives to to take action, we'll have to you know think about that. We'll keep we'll keep an eye on it from from here. So you keep listening, and we'll tell you as it develops. But this is something to be concerned about with these services: is that we've got to we've got to take responsibility for our own uh, privacy, but also our own uh, you know uh, our relationship with these companies. Not just be passive mm -hmm. users. We've got to be more active with this to, to prevent dystopian futures speaking of dystopian futures let's move on <laughs> to our next topic uh which is this interesting article that showed up on medium.com um by some someone it's a sort of a think piece it's not just sort of it is a think piece called robot priests are changing human religion and uh, it's it's interesting perspective from someone who <laughs> from my from what i could tell is is not themselves a religious person or, yeah, or at least not someone who has uh, conventional religious beliefs, put it that way. Um, and that's just, I'm just speculating. It may, maybe I could be wrong on that. But uh, they're, they're curious about and thinking about how robot priests could change, could, uh, obviously could change human religion. So here's a quote from the article. This raises the inter interesting question of what to do when someone makes a machine that is actually intended to play the role of clergy. Some pastors joke that they help people hatch, match, and dispatch by celebrating births, weddings, and funerals. And to me, this the, the end quote. But to me, this raises the question of what is the clergy for 
sacramental faiths like Catholicism and the Orthodox Church, you know, well, for for other for non-sacramental faiths, the clergy is just you know a clergyman, a, a, a reverend, the minister is just a facilitator. They lead in services. They 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 help you think about things. But a true priest, from a sacramental point of view, is one who makes the divine present to us. And in that situation, humanity can't be replaced. Uh, what do you guys think of this this article and, and what this fellow has to say about? He brings up some other issues, but you know, what do you what do you think about this idea that he's trying to look at? I think it was interesting to see where he was coming from, but the problem is I feel like the premise is so fundamentally flawed that there just wasn't really a lot there. Like the question is, can there be robot priests? No. Like <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Period. When, you're, when you're coming from the point of, yeah. of view of a Catholic, yeah, definitely. It's right. just an absolute not. I, I, I think it's really interesting. You're moving into the space where um God is a human creation when you look at this, right? Because, right, right. Uh, because we're talking about a created thing that's created by us, not created naturally, not naturally existent, not supernaturally existent or anything like that. But the, but the thing that that we created, humans created, we put it together physically, we uh, imbued it with its own uh, working thought. And now we're turning to that thing to connect us with our creator. And it's so backwards. It's just such a right a reverse of what should be happening that it really just, it, it, even from a non-Catholic perspective, it, it's dumbfounding to kind of try and process this. Right. It, it does, it does it at times sound like, a, like I said, a non-religious person trying to parse out how religious people think. And trying yeah. to trying to yeah. connect us to them, but he he he, he makes a point. He says, uh, "Priests tell us what God says," and he, I think he's using priest to mean any uh, religious leader. I think or any yeah. clergyman. But he says, "Priests tell us what God says." Should we ever let? Should we ever let us? I, I think maybe it's a, mis- a typo. Should we ever let an AI tell us what God says, or what it think God thinks God says, or what it wants us to think God says? In other words, should we ever be in a in a position? Should we ever let ourselves be in a position where an AI is being an intermediary intermediary with God? But of course, no. I mean, I I don't think we should ever let an AI tell us you know anything of that sort of import of life changing right. import. But how could an AI tell us what God says? It's it's not again. It like I think you, as you alluded to. It doesn't have a connection to the metaphysical. It doesn't have a connection mm-hmm. to the supernatural. It is entirely a natural creation. Um, and maybe this gets to what do we think an AI could be? Could an AI ever yeah. really be alive? And that's really the question. Ooh, that's right. We get into some deep weeds there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it, it's uh, one other thing to look at here is this is um, it, it's an area where the people who are saying I'm spiritual, not religious starts to really come into focus. Yeah. And you start to look mm-hmm. at these people who they want to go to confession. They want to participate in the sacraments, but they want to do it as an individual act. And the beautiful thing about religion is that it forces us outside of ourselves. We have to be with other people. We have to commune with each other. And, and that's, that's really the the basis of religion is is you're not alone you there your your brothers and sisters are there with you 
for better or for worse, they're there and you need to be involved with them. And so to like have a machine be the intermediary, it changes that that situation so that it's no longer a relationship with anything. It's just something there to serve us and to serve, serve me individually rather than to ha- force me to be involved with a community. Right. It's inward facing, not outward facing. Mm-hmm. And and it raises some interesting questions like, you know, should we let robots or AI uh, do certain there are there certain areas that we should not let them do, like whether it's clergy or therapist? Should a ro- should we ever let a robot be a therapist? Should we ever let a and when I say robot, I mean AI or robot. Right. Uh, should I should we ever let one be a doctor? Just like even just, you know, are are because. Are our bodies machines or is being a doctor more than just fixing the the meat machine? Is it something more than that? Uh, there's a quote from the article and and that I to give the author of the article credit, uh, which I, I didn't I neglected to get the name. But uh, let me just to give him the name David O'Hara uh, to give David O'Hara a credit. He asked the question, are there kinds of work like caring for our communities and for our own bodies that we should not automate tools, amplify our efforts They also amplify our intentions, and maybe our intention is to distance ourselves from the difficult work of care. Our Mm, machines might offer one kind of care while being the physical expression of our lack of interest in those who need the care. And that kind of goes to what you were saying, Thomas, about that draws us out of ourselves, whereas automating things can, can make us less engaged and maybe give us an easy way to not do that, those sorts of things. There's also a bigger issue of, automating every single profession means there's going to be a lot of people without work. And what do you do with those people? Like at a certain point, you can't just take someone's job away by automating it with a robot and then assuming they'll be able to pick up the slack. The Mm -hmm. books and TV series, like the expanse imagines that and has some interesting things to say about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd like to point to another, another piece of literature that I think everyone should read on this. It's a short story by E.M. Forster. It is called The Machine Stops. It is the only science fiction piece that I know of that he wrote, and he wrote it around the turn of the uh, the 20th century, so early mm. 1900s. Uh, and absolutely brilliant piece. And and it it analyzes a future in which we've become so uh, isolated that everything we do as humans is uh, from inside of a cell, and we use the machine to communicate with each other. And then he imagines what would happen if that suddenly stopped working. And it's a really, really incredible short story uh, and probably one of the most influential pieces I've read about the way that I think about us interacting with machines. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll, put a, I'll make sure to put a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. Uh, one thing I want to uh, point I kind of want to make about this distancing ourselves from, from uh, others in our care uh, as, as a point I've been making for several for years about uh, charity, with, wor- charity work, where you know where it used to be, we when someone in our neighborhood in our community was in need, the uh, members of the community would help them. The church usually would help them because and we would do it out of a sense of love. Charity literally means love. Uh, w- then we sort of outsource that to government, and so now we say if you are unemployed or you're in need or your family's hungry. Go to the government and they'll give you money, but it outsources it for us. We don't have to do mm-hmm. it. We're, it's we're 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 uh, ex- it's uh, what's the word? We're 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 exonerated from it. It's another word. I'm, I'm not, it's not occurring to me. But 
but what that's an interesting point is is when we we begin to outsource this care the difficult work of care we are we are outsourcing the love or we're draining this activity of love god said you know visit the the sick and in prison clothe the naked all these things not because not just because there's a functions that need to be done but because by doing them we become like god and and we engage in love and automating these things is draining them of the love that comes from doing it uh, hands-on with people. So uh, that's something I wanted to uh, mention there. Uh, there's another aspect of, the, of, this, of this AI question. It's a little different, but there's another, uh, this article from uh, First Things called Algorithm Religion. It's not necessarily a new thought. This has been going around. But uh, John Waters writes about this problem of AI and morality. Uh, the more we give artificial intelligence to do in our lives, the more it's going to butt up against the necessity to make moral decisions. And the famous one is when we've got self-driving cars and it encounters a situation where it's got to either turn left and hit this person or turn right and hit that person has no other option. On what basis does the, al- does the algorithm, does the AI make the decision on who's the one to get hit? And that's the problem. How, how do we how do we make that decision? So what do you what do you think? I mean, the, this is the AI trolley problem essentially, right. like the twenty first yeah. century. Uh, <laughs> what do you guys think of, of this this problem that we encounter? How are we how are we going to deal with what he calls artificial moral agents? I think that at least from the reading of the article, it seems like he doesn't really understand how AI works. And it really seems like he has the kind of AI is one scary and two is not going to work very well. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think that self-driving cars, I'm a big fan of the idea because I think it's going to save a lot of people because in those situations, there's more factors than just person A is standing here. Person B is standing here and the car is moving. It can take into like account how fast is that person moving away from the car. And I read a lot of stuff about it where basically it's going to focus on protecting the person in the car, which legally mm-hmm. I think is what you're supposed to do when you're driving. If there's an option to like swerve into this way or this way, you're supposed to go straight and try to slow the car down. Right. right. I do think that based on the systems they have, the reaction times from the car itself is going to be quicker than what we can react. Yeah. Right. That's true. Well, and I think before we get to that point, because we are still uh, quite a number of years from that point, no matter what, what people are telling you that right, that right now – uh, you know, self-driving cars are still a good 10, 15 years off at the best um, in real senses. Like, you know, right. long distance driving, we're fine that we could probably get to that point in the next five to 10 years. But we've still got a long way to go for uh, inner city driving and things like that. The problem is this. We've got some bigger issues to solve with machine learning itself. So so this is a similar situation to another one that we could talk about where if we have uh, machine learning algorithms that are handling um, HR documents and they have been trained on sets of data, they have a lot of implicit bias that's already built into them based on the statistics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So most doctors are male. When it goes to review the history of statistics of doctors that are awarded and that are that are, uh, you know, the the better doctors, quote unquote, uh, it's going to look and see that they're mostly male. We have to get that bias out of the machine when it's going to look at these documents, because it's going to look at all of the female candidates and automatically rank them lower than all of the male candidates. Mm -hmm. And it has no bearing on their ability to be a doctor. That's just the statistics that we've already given it. 
And so right. you run into the same problem with the with the self-driving car is the only information it has is the information that it's seen before. And 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 so if it's never had to make this decision, uh, it makes the decision based on any information that it's seen before. It can't project into the future. And that kind of brings us back to our first point right. where we were talking about using AI to predict future behavior. And you, you just can't do that. That's not what AI does. That's the big that's one of the big problems is the bias built into the machine learning data sets. And when we say bias, we don't necessarily it's not necessarily like the bias, like racism or sexism, that sort of thing. Bias as in it, it's built in because the, the data taken in abstract looks a certain way be, just because of factors that don't really have anything to do with the real reason it's in there. Um, right. I'm trying to think like uh, if a data set of all the photos of in my photo library would, would tend to say that uh, most people have dark hair, therefore people should have dark hair. Like, no, that's just my family. That's just because the data set you have is the data set of my right. family. You know, it, it's the, it's the trickiness or, that's there are statistics that are correlation, just like mm -hmm. most doctors are male. And you, so you're going to have a correlation of a lot of the best doctors are going to be male. That doesn't actually mean they're all going to be that all that that only only male doctors are the best doctors. Yeah. You, you know, just have more yeah. data to draw from. Right. Yeah. And also, I'll give you a great, great example from my life where uh, we are coming up on having the eighth San Jose in our house. Yeah, excellent. And, Congratulations. Uh, this, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, but we have a problem because after seven, the state of Florida does not allow us to have babies in the um, in the uh, uh, the birthing center anymore. We have to do a home birth. Really? Because. Yeah. Because statistically, apparently, it's more dangerous to have your eighth baby in uh, in a birthing center. So my only conclusion here is that somebody looked at the statistics wrong and like, you know, one woman, because how many women have eight babies? Right. If one has a problem in a birthing center, suddenly it throws the statistics for the right. whole group in a very big way. And yeah, so it's a ridiculous thing. That's like, it's bizarre. completely ridiculous. Yeah. But that's that's the law in the state that we live in. And wow. yeah, there's a whole other set of issues there, too. But that's, you know, it's an interesting thing to have to have happen where you've got this. A set of statistics that doesn't actually mean what is being said, but because right. that's the only uh, item being used to make a decision, that's how it came down. Right, right. That's the danger of using algorithms to make important life-changing decisions, whether it's a self-driving car or right. you know this, you know what insurance will allow you to do, and that sort of thing. So. Interesting. And like an AI is not really making a decision. It's just operating off a set of like, it's like just a bunch of logic sets that it goes through. So it's right. not really choosing anything. It's just like, this is what's going to come out on top if you put this data into it. And that's right. an important point. And we, we should probably come back to this at some point, which is no computer thinks like a human brain. We, we don't even actually know technically how the human consciousness makes decisions and works. We only right. observe how electricity flows through it, and we know that certain areas of the brain tend to do certain things, although when there's brain damage, sometimes that shifts to other parts of the brain. I mean, it's just we, a computer is not a, – a, a human brain is not a flesh computer, and a computer right. is not just an electronic version of a human brain. The, and we've got ourselves into, into a lot of trouble by using computerish language when talking about how our brains work 
such that we think that the that AI and computers and those sorts of things can do things that they can't do and will never be able to right. do because they're not they're not people. And you, that's a good point you make. To quote Spock, brain, brain, what is brain? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. On that note, we're going to move on to our next uh, t- uh, segment tonight, and we're going to talk uh, just like a few headlines. Uh, there is a we've we've talked several times and early on, actually, in this uh, uh, podcast series, we talked about the, the scourge of robocalls and uh, the president signed a new bill uh, recently that was passed by Congress the, called the Traced Act, which is uh, supposed to help get rid of robocalls to help slow them down a little bit. What do you guys think of this? The This new law that we have in pro- is, is it going to help? Is it going to be? Or is it just another? Uh, It'll help for two weeks until they find a way around it. <laughs> right, pretty much. <laughs> that's right. that's my stance too. <laughs> so it's it's supposed to be part of this whole. We've talked about before. Like I said, uh, this verification process known as stir shaken. It, they have. It's a James Bond reference, but but the idea is it's supposed to be this. A, a, to, to boil it down, a way to verify that a phone call is being made by the uh, the number that it says it is mm-hmm. when it, that when you kind of boil it down because most of these robocalls are being are being spoofed they're coming from not the actual number because if they if you have the actual number then they can then you can trace them and get, they can and prosecute them uh, of course m- most of these calls are coming in over the being made by uh voice over ip over the internet mm-hmm. a million at a time and probably originating overseas probably right uh, just like theoretically, yeah, just like spam. Yeah. So yeah, I I I applaud them for taking action as best they can. I I don't know if this is this is bailing out the boat in a hurricane, frankly. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think technology is probably more likely to help, just like it has with spam, right? I mean, mm-hmm. mostly most of my spam ends up in a spam box that I, that I never see it. Of course, so does some of my good mail. And sometimes some Great. of the spam gets through, so it's not perfect. But I got an email from Warren Buffett the other day, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> was he offering to send you a bunch of his uh, fortune? Because yeah, <laughs> uh, I got that one too. Awesome, we're we're set. <laughs> uh, see, I don't know. I, it's it's an interesting problem though because um, you don't have the same kind of protocols uh, over the 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 phone calling as you do over the email because a lot of what a spam filter does is it just looks at the email address and goes yeah that's obviously junk and tosses it out whereas with voice over ip um there there are ways to bounce it through uh, a different uh spot so that you end up with an actual number right and right. and then it's an actual number so you know my phone on the end can't can't evaluate it my phone company can't evaluate it uh, so I don't know. I'm not really sure. I know that there's a proposal here, but I'm not really <laughs> sure what the uh, actual uh, solution to the problem is. It's like, right. we need to fix this. Yeah, <laughs> I think I we think, all agree we need to fix it. <laughs> I think the problem is also when you get a spam email, all the data is already there and you can look at it. With a call, it's something that's coming in in real time. So you cannot analyze the call before it's right. already come in. Right. It can't tell me that the person, it's a recording in Chinese. Telling me to go to the Chinese consulate. <laughs> but if we use the social credit score. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. See, uh, there you go. My guess is the Trace Act will 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 take a certain 
small percentage of all the robocalls off the board, but it's yeah. not going to it's not going to do much about the, yeah. the the vast majority of them. Uh, so it, it's going to I think it's going to be a combination of technology in the phones, technology at the carriers and and legal steps, a combination of all these things that will uh, help us. So I, I want to get to one more story before we get to our picks of the week. And this one is uh, is actually, I want to talk about this one because I have some knowledge about this. Uh, a Twitter user was complaining last week that uh, he, he had a Hewlett Packard printer, an HP inkjet printer, and he got a warning saying his ink cartridges would be disabled. He would be unable to print until he subscribed to the HP Instant Ink monthly subscription service, uh, which is five bucks a month. So uh, what happened was, is he bought this printer and he says, and we can only go on, go on what he says, that he discovered the warning after canceling this random $5 a month bill that he kept getting from Hewlett Packard after over a year of this $5 showing up on his bill every month. And that's when he got this message. Cartridge cannot be used until printer is enrolled in HP Instant Ink. And outrage ensued. Oh, this is blackmail. This is extortion. You know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so from my point of view, I have one of these printers. What it is, is instead of having to buy the world's most expensive substance ink for inkjet printer, it literally is by, by, mm -hmm. by, uh, by the ounce, it's the most expensive substance in the world. Um, you, you subscribe. And so it keeps track of how much you print and sends you more ink as you need it. Now you could do this on a monthly basis. If you print a lot, I wouldn't recommend it. Or you could do it as a charge me as you send it to me, which is what I do because I don't I don't waste that much paper by printing it. So, uh, so this guy, to my point of view, either this guy was irresponsible when he bought it and didn't know what he was buying, or he bought this and has some sort of buyer's remorse. But you get the printer at a reduced price because they know because the deal is you're gonna make it up in the ink that you buy in the subscription. So I don't know. What do you think of this? I think he just didn't know what he was doing. Because they have the specific cartridges that have little chips in them, and it right. checks before you print. So he just he canceled it, and he kept using the same cartridges. It's as simple as he just needs to go buy a different ink cartridge, right? Or or buy a different a different kind of printer that doesn't right. because it won't print using third party cartridges. You have to print using the cartridges from the Instant yeah. Ink service. That's the deal. You can't you you can't use any other kind of cartridge, which you know is a is a, it's something you've given up because in the past you could buy third-party ink cartridges and, and use those and they were mm -hmm. cheaper. So, you know, you, you, it's a balancing act. What do you think, Thomas? Uh, yeah. This is like DRM for your, uh, for your uh, ink, for your printer. <laughs> pretty much. It's just, oh, it's just obnoxious. And, and like, I, I would like to know where are the printers? Where can I pay a little bit of extra money to get a printer that I can just refill the ink cartridge from whatever I want to? Like, I, I can just stick a needle in it, inject it, well, refill it, they make go. The Eco I, Tank I, from I, Epson can do that. I used to have one of those, uh, and uh, I got this one for, as a review unit for free. So that's I, I should be uh, clear about this HP one. I'm not defending HP, uh, but I did get it you know, get this one for free. But uh, the Eco Tank, yeah, it, it was just to open the lid and pour ink in. So whatever wherever awesome. you get that ink from, that's the. <laughs> I mean, to me. That's a better deal in, in, if you if you really want to be free from the the uh, the, the tyranny of platinum ink, <laughs> platinum priced ink. That would be the way to to do it. 
Yeah. The one that the one that was a lot seemed a lot worse to me is, and I had this at work where we have these cartridges. We have a big, huge Kanoka printer, um, and it mm-hmm. can't remember what kind of it is. It's not a laser jet, um, but if you take the cartridge out and put it back in, it will read the cartridge as empty, even though it's still full. So yep. you cannot take the cartridges out like to clean them or whatever. Yes. So that's yeah. the one that really bothers me because it's fully functional. I the HP story sounds bad on its face, but it's really a case of the guy not understanding what he was buying. Like I don't want exactly. to defend HP, but this is right. Just, he didn't know what he was buying. If you buy an Apple product, there is planned obsolescence. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's there. It's built in. My wife is struggling with that with her phone right now because she's like, I can't run it. I can't even get the update because there's no space on this phone for it. And I'm like, I mean. That's you have an older model of an Apple phone. That's kind of the way that's yeah. the deal well, you make with Apple for it. Well, it's the deal you make with any any phone yeah. service or anything like that. I mean, it's it's a nothing lasts forever. But um, right. you know, they, they're all they all don't make money if you hold on to your your equipment forever and ever. <laughs> they go right. they go out of business. Well, and and uh, uh, Jack, what you were saying, having myself dealt with. Uh, leasing printer leasing companies for offices and, and organizations mm-hmm. and i mean this is small potatoes compared to the shenanigans that go on with these yeah. companies oh, yeah. like <laughs> uh you know where you have a you find out that the toner is telling you it's empty and you need to buy a new one and then you know someone comes along and goes oh you know what if you shake that and put it back in it will read as three quarters full it's designed yeah. to say empty when it's still mostly full and things like that it's really yeah the whole the whole toner cartridge ink thing has been a shady business for about 35 years so we just oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well like in my home my, my epson printer is out of uh it's out of yellow ink currently so it will not print black and white prints right exactly because it needs that expensive you know, yellow it's gotta cartridge. have that yellow ink to print <laughs> these strictly grayscale prints yeah <laughs> that's right that's right yes the pr- printers the whole printer thing is just a mess but uh but in this case i think this guy just kind of it was it didn't pay attention to what he was to what he was buying i think that's Absolutely, the yeah. case yeah all right let's uh move on to our picks of the week and uh this is where we choose one thing we want to highlight that we've been using or maybe a tip we want to uh, give to people but uh thomas I'll let you go first what's your pick of the week all right my pick of the week is an app that i found this week i've been looking for a good reader app on my phone um I have very few requirements, but they're very specific because I get documents in from all sorts of uh, file types. So I have PDFs, I have Mobis, I have EPUBs, I have everything. And I, I, I am lazy and I do not want to spend the time to convert them all in Calibre. I just want them to work. So uh, I finally found an app that does it. I also need the dark screen reader so that it, you know, it's the white letters on the black background. That's really, I, I like that. I think that's really important. Mm. And um, so I found this one. It's called Moon Plus Reader. And it's uh, pretty cheap. And they have a free version, but there's also a, a cheap to buy version for it. It's a one-time purchase. It does all of the different file types that I want. It has a nice organization and tagging pattern to it. So I can tag any of the books that I want to with a particular topic type. I can put them into their own collections so that I can pull up a bookshelf that's just those collections. Uh, it's it's really great. And once I uh, fiddled with my Android phone a little bit and then managed to find the folder that I needed to put everything in, uh, which didn't actually take as much effort as I was worried it was going to, uh, I now have all of my books in one spot and it goes straight to that folder, reads them all, pulls them all in and we're good to go. Yeah, it'll read pretty much anything. E- EPUB, PDF, Mobi, AZW3. Those are all ebook formats. Uh, 
Word docs, yeah, even uh, web uh, markdown, even wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's a really great program. I've I've been really really happy with it. Excellent, that's good. And then the uh, the pro version, which um, which removes ads and gives you a few other features, is uh, about five bucks. So that's that's yep. a pretty good deal. That's a good deal. Excellent. Uh, Jack, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a sketchbook from Autodesk. It's an illustration program. I like to use it with um a Wacom tablet, like not the kind you have the screen with, but you look at the screen and draw. Um, you can use it on there. You can use it on uh, iOS. Or they have an Android uh, available also. Um, it used to be $99 a year, like a subscription, but they recently made it free, which is really nice because it wow. includes all the features. Um, it's really good for illustration if you're doing like comic books or digital painting. I use it for that. Um, you can do like different layers and it comes with, um, like if you subscribe to it, it would give you a bunch of different brushes and now they have those all free too. So you can go and just download loads of different brushes. So it's a fun program and it's free now. So there's no reason not to try it out. That's awesome. This is the times when I wish I was an artist. I don't have an artistic bone in my body, but man, I would love to, I see (laughs) these great tools. I'm like, Maybe I could be an artist. Then I'd like to stick figure. No, nope. <laughs> then you try. Yeah. 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 Still I feel not that way too, where it's like, nope, still not, still not going that way. <laughs> well, at least my, my wife's an artist and my daughter is uh, getting there too. So maybe I'll, I'll give it to them and uh, let them go to town on it. That's awesome. All right. Those are good ones. Uh, my pick is something new. I got, I, uh, I am in the uh, Amazon echo ecosystem. I've had a few of those for uh, several years. So Amazon knows everything that goes on in my house. I'm just okay with that, I suppose. And uh, so I said, well, why don't I go with the Amazon Echo Show? It's an Echo that has a screen on it. Uh, and the reason I went with this, I wasn't going to do this for ages because I said, I don't, why do I need a screen? I talk to it. It gives me the information audibly. It's, it's always been that way. But what the reason I went with it is when Amazon bought the Ring video company, the, the Ring doorbell, um, they connected the show with the Ring. So now if someone's at my door and they ring the doorbell, all I have to do is say echo or the wake word, show me the front door. And the video from that pops up on the screen there. I don't have to dig my phone out of my pocket, unlock it, open it up, try to get to the app real quick before they walk away or, you know, the the whole shebang. I've got it right there. It's a much faster. And that was the big thing for me. But it also does things like it shows me the the time, the temperature, the forecast. It, it could show me like headlines and stuff. When you take it out of the box and set it up, it's like showing you everything. It's like a like a uh, distraction magnet. I had to turn a whole bunch of that <laughs> stuff off. But you can have it play videos, like you you know show me a, a show me a recipe for such and such. You know, and show me you know show me um, play music for me. You know, you can have it play. Uh, even like TV shows on it, if you want on the on a. I got the Echo Show Five, which is a five-inch screen, so it's a pretty small. It would be a small TV show, but uh, it's pretty nice. And the best part, one of the best parts, is it has a camera, so you could do video calling. But there's a physical shutter that you can slide shut. Oh, nice! To to, to cover the camera. Uh, that's right. good. Yeah. So you can you can do that. Um, I have to. I, actually, you know, I haven't done is, is thought about where the mute button is because sometimes I like to mute the, the if I remember to I mute it while I'm doing shows so that it doesn't think I'm saying its name even when I'm talking about you know Alec Baldwin. I, I, I stop and wait, make sure it didn't wake up, uh, you know, or something like that. <laughs> uh, it, so I sometimes mute it so it doesn't hear me. But uh, I, I don't actually I don't know where the button is. I'm sure there's a button on it for for that too. But anyway, Amazon Echo Show and it was on sale. Uh, recently for sixty nine dollars, and I had a gift certificate, so that was a that was a good deal. 
So that's my pick. All right. I have to brag on I have to brag on one of my previous picks too. Oh, yeah? So this week I lost a um I, I lost a tire cap to one of my tire valves. And you know, I don't want to drive around like that. Yeah. And so I uh I was like, okay, I'm gonna three D print one. So nice. I, I now have I'm now the proud owner of eight uh tire caps, four for my car and four for my wife's car that are all TARDISes. And <laughs> <laughs> you just print them up and then screw them on and it threads right onto the thing. Uh you just tighten it down and it threads right in there, but they all all little TARDISes all on the on the car. <laughs> you, you're convincing me That's more crazy. and more every day that I've got a, I want a three D printer. You, man. <laughs> oh man. It's good stuff. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's, that's so awesome. I love this idea. I was telling my kids about this the other day. The, this idea that if you have a three D printer, theoretically, you could print the replacement parts for every any kind of thing. I I've yeah. got I've got stuff that I've broken like uh uh the like camping equipment with a piece of piece of broken plastic. You could three D print a replacement for it. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Lego minifigs. It's the truth. See, I've done it. I, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I joke that being a dad means uh, becoming an expert at using superglue to superglue all the broken toys. But you could also 3D print replacement parts. There you go. Okay. So, uh, excellent. That's good. All right. So, and folks, if you want to find out anything about our, any of our picks of the week, they're on our website. If you go to sqpn.com slash technology, scroll down, you'll see a database there that lists all of the different uh, uh, picks of the week. And you can reorder it by, you know, show or by the guest and p- panelist or host. And uh, you can see all of my picks or all of Thomas's picks, that sort of thing. All together, you can be able to find his uh, 3D printer, 3D printer pick, right there. All right, I think that does it uh, for tonight. So uh, first, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of technology, including Mike M, Ben and Susie S, Brian T, Jacob W, and Tim H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue. The Secrets of Technology, and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And I also want to thank James Hamill, who sends uh, sends us many links uh, to different articles, stories that we can possibly use. We will gladly take any links and suggestions of stories that we should cover, any topics we should cover. You can send those to secrets at, sorry, technology at sqpn.com. Uh, so, and if you want to ha- send us any comments uh, on anything we've discussed, you can go to sqpn.com slash technology. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or that email address at technology at sqpn.com. And as I said before, we'll put all the links from our discussion and the picks of the week uh, in our show notes on our website. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel. You should also hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. And Thomas Senorho, thank you as well. It was a pleasure. And once again, I am Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.